Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Competition in the AI space is raging on, and this time we've got a new participant in the ring. Elon Musk recently revealed his own artificial intelligence bot meant to channel ChatGPT, claiming that the prototype is already superior to ChatGPT 3.5 across several benchmarks. It's called Grok, and it's the first product of Musk's AI company, XAI. And by the way, Grok is modeled after a book, you know, that famous book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, there is a reference um, in terms of what Grok is able to do in that book. And, um, you know, what you see with this AI, the chatbot apparently is like Musk, rebellious. Uh, <laughs> have you read The Chagas Guide to the Galaxy, by the way? Great sci-fi comedy, British author Douglas Adam behind that. Uh, but I digress. We're talking today about AI and we're going to talk about um, what our guest thinks Grok means for the AI wars. Then we'll turn our attention to the earnings season, find out some clear answers and steps to stepping into the ring when it comes to investing in this period of volatility. Given the relatively big price swings that we've seen from companies reporting earnings results, we wanted to find out where the opportunities are if we wanted to also manage our risks well. And as we step into the final quarter of the year, what does historical data suggest about how the stock market tends to do during the holiday season? We're going to get these answers to these questions and much, much more with Swapnil Mishra. He's founder of Wilson, an adjunct mentor of Singapore Management University. Also got a great new book out. Swapnil, I just want to start by acknowledging, I cannot believe you put me on the cover of your book. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, you sent me the book and I thought I was in love with the font. I thought you did a great job. Two days after diving into the book, I realized, wait a minute, I'm on the cover. It was so kind, so kind. Uh, title of the book again, Swapnil. <laughs> That's the one which makes it memorable in a way. It's a tongue twister, yeah. I love it. Yes, investing for the clueless, the reckless, and overly cautious. <laughs> <laughs> investing for the clueless, the reckless, and the overly cautious. I'm sure many of you listening in fit to one of these categories, or I think it would be a great, great present for somebody, you know, younger in your life that you want to educate in terms of expectations of what the stock market is all about and how you can get started in a very... Um, accessible manner. Great book, Swapnil. Congrats. All right, let's start with the AI front. Elon Musk and his startup, XAI. That's an artificial intelligence startup. They've released Grok. That's a chatbot. It can supposedly outperform OpenAI's first iteration of ChatGPT. I checked it out. It looks a little bit more current because it can plug into X. And the company said it's, you know, meant to, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy, have a bit of wit a rebellious streak should be able to take on spicy questions that other AI models might dodge. So, Swapnil, your initial thoughts on growth? I'm waiting for regulators to react to some of the things that it, it's going to answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's something which is, a, you know, if it gets unhinged, right? I completely agree. It is definitely going to be something which is quirky and, you know, a little bit more intuitive. It'll create a lot of hype. It has automatically got the entire Twitter or X user base uh, to kind of, you know, to link with. 
but my worry is if it gets unhinged and and then we start seeing um, you know uh, toxic statements or answers that don't make sense and and or, or come out with some kind of humor which uh, may be hurtful in some ways right so that's i would say those are my concerns for um, <laughs> a tool like this being built by Elon Musk. That's the thing about humor, isn't it? It's a uniquely human trait because you've got to pull back sometimes given the crowd. you got to, you know, you know when you can go full on. I think Bing was accused of being unhinged at one time because, you know, it was coming up with statements like it felt scared and sad in response to certain stories. <laughs> questions um but i like that point there that you know you're just waiting for investig uh, regulators to sort of get unsettled when perhaps grok answers questions in manners that, that you know might come across as off the wall and, and i'll tell you the other reason why this is happening right so um and i'm personally experiencing mm. this element uh, in the last uh, one month really? but i'm spending a lot of time on the uh, google scholar or research papers yep. because I'm personally applying for a PhD, so that's how I was doing this work. And the entire robustness of this process of peer review, publishing it in a journal, research work being done, mm. all the depth in these answers. Mm. The danger I feel with the entire approach of any of these chatbots yeah. is that they look unique, they are in a sense original, but actually it is just you know uh, restatements. Exactly, it's, a, mm. it's mimicry. It's a complex form of just copying what somebody said um, without any kind of screening. So somebody on Twitter or on X makes some random remark, and mm. suddenly that's that's a fact that can get amplified uh, through uh, growth. So that's mm. the fundamental concern that uh, people in the you know academia world or in the literary space they have that as the biggest concern of something that looks smart and original, but is actually just mimicking. Yeah, you got to regard it as what so one guest of mine re, re, phrased it beautifully. You got to regard ChatGPT and all these chatbots as a low-level intern. You still yeah. got to go through the work yourself. Um, I feel like you know I do a lot of postgraduate research as well myself, and I've been irritated because ChatGPT used to be able to give you a source and um, even phrase it APA style, and now they've done away with that. So I feel like the the sort of tedious work of academia, especially the citing, which is yeah. one thing that ChatGPT could do brilliantly at helping you with, it's pulled back on. So maybe yeah. Grok could step into that. It'll really help me out and tell you that. Users of X can apply to try out Grok, which will be available to subscribers of the app's new premium plus service. That'll cost about $16 a month after it goes through some unspecified period of testing. I want to back up a little bit. Do you think Grok has the potential to rival ChatGPT or BARD? No, I don't think so. I don't think it has the ability to integrate uh, both BARD and uh, Microsoft with mm. neither with Bing or ChatGPT. have one big advantage, which is integration. Now, of course, some people like integration, some people don't really enjoy it. Mm. But the fact that you can combine things into your search bar or you can combine it with your other actions... Um, and, and, and in a way make the entire experience more personalized. That uh, advantage is there with, um, with Microsoft and with Google. Uh, X doesn't have that except for Twitter. And Twitter is, is again, it's a, it's a platform for a very niche segment. It's not something that everybody uses and everybody uh, finds it uh, you know, useful. So I know this guy, high-level C-suite, and he uses ChatGPT, the paid version, to write his chats 
because he dates something like five, six people at the same time. So he relies on this chatbot to write responses on all the different streams of conversations that he's having. I don't have the same quite use case for uh, chat GPT or any of these bots. So I haven't paid for, you know, I've dipped my toe, tried it out for a week or two, these paid subscriptions, but I don't see the use case quite yet for myself. And I wonder what you think about X trying to monetize Grok with this uh, premium service, $16 a month. What do you think this could mean for X long term? We know it's lost nearly half its advertising revenue since must take over. One possibility is that it revives X itself, where people see the two together as a powerful tool, where on one place you're able to air your views, read other people's views. And then you have this platform which helps you access information, which not only creeps through X, but also is able to access other databases and kind of become a more personalized conversation uh, versus in case of X, where it is not really a conversation, you know, it's not so dynamic. So I, well, that's one possibility that together it kind of revives X also, uh, which is one of its priorities right now uh, in terms of how much uh, they are struggling. Uh, that's, I mean, that I would say that as a one potential success. Uh, the second area where it may actually shape things is, uh, you know, next year is election year. So all of these tools are going to play some role next year because as election, uh, and especially in case of US, you have US elections, you have elections in India, which means what you say, what is read, what is searched out, what opinions are ex- uh, explained, all of those things will have a bearing. So maybe it will have some uh, use uh, by, uh, you know, any kind of lobbies or um, you know, election infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, some people are expecting that AI will supercharge the disinformation campaigns in the 2024 US elections, particularly when we see, you know, uh, AI programs that can create uh, a figure with voice, create videos and text so real, it's hard to struggle, you know, to decipher that this is not a real person talking to you. So that's, I would say that is a real danger in the immediate context and also a monetization too, because there is going to be a demand for this. Uh, I'm sure there'll be certain segments of uh, the infrastructure or the ecosystem which will want to exploit by generating 1,000 emails which look like a rally of uh, support behind a policy measure and suddenly looks real. So, yeah, absolutely. So like any other language model, basically Grok can still generate false or contradictory information. If it's trolling through X, X, then basically what you're getting is views. Um, that's my main bugbear with it. Correct, absolutely. So, and and. and even Meta faced the same thing, right? They had issues of toxic language and racist language, and then they had to pull back on their version of whatever they were building. Mm. Um, yeah, so even they faced that. Bing also faced in the beginning. So in, in an environment where it is a dangerous tool, I, I would say one good thing that's happening is a lot of uh, entities, you know, even in terms of the, the, the political uh, you know, energy behind this, they're beginning to wake up to this thing and starting to say, let's, Let's track what is happening in this space. Let's monitor that. I think that awareness is much more than what it was for, you know, 10, 15 years back when, you know, companies like Google came onto the scene and data privacy. It took, I would say, 10 years for data privacy to really become a topic where, you know, people tried to address it. With AI, I think this risk is being addressed at the early stage, which is a good sign. You're Uh, right. How long did it take for the PDPA to kick in here anyway? Those ads. Yeah. All right. I want to talk to you a little bit about the one of the biggest catalysts for this year's stock market recovery, all this buzz surrounding AI, right? And Microsoft has received so much attention for its AI developments. But I came across a great article from The Motley Fool that argues that Alphabet's Google 
is one magnificent AI growth stock to buy, hand over fist and hold forever. What are your thoughts? It's definitely a stock to hold uh, and it's also a stock to hold forever because there is no reason for you to you know, sell it. <laughs> it's a core part of your portfolio. Even in terms of the the uh, connection with the AI you know, momentum that we are seeing, it's a good proxy. And for, I think there are two reasons why <clears throat> Google makes an interesting uh, representative for AI. Is one, in terms of the primary research that it's able to do because it has data. Two is because it is able to apply many of those things, tools, in their existing services. So they don't really, it is not as if, uh, you know, we are going to see AI improve profitability of, let's say, a bank like DBS. Now, we know that it is going to happen. There are things that DBS will do differently thanks to AI technology, which they will apply in various you know, businesses and various uh, work streams. With Google, I think it contains, it controls both. It is able to control the technology. It is able to apply the technology in their own ecosystem, which makes it a, uh, you know, in a, puts it in a very strong position. I would pause at the point that it is the only one because... I think it's a strong contender. But if I was looking at it as a group of companies, then you can't ignore uh, Microsoft in this entire mix. And um, so, from a, again, from a portfolio construction point of view, you would have to include a few other companies and not just uh, Google. But otherwise, I agree, Google is very well positioned yeah. for, with it. I mean, data and technology. Exactly. Look at this dominance <laughs> in, in search and online advertising and cloud infrastructure. So... Um, solid in terms of value proposition. Let's shift our attention to the new rounds of earnings. That's all we've been talking about on air, I have to say. Earnings reports that cause many of the largest moves in stocks. Uh, they require special care, so we're going to take some care and look through them. Uh, what is a good earnings season investment strategy, in your opinion? Actually, I'm quite curious to, you know, and maybe I look up more information and find, try to look how many people... In terms of sheer numbers, how many people trade into the season and how many people actually do the trade after the season? And I think that's where the difference lies. If you are a, if you are a strategic long-term investor, then the real time to actually rebalance your portfolios is after the earnings have come out and revisions are happening. So you can say that today, if you are concerned about Apple's earning outlook, earnings outlook for this, for this quarter, then trimming Apple position would probably be a better uh, outcome as a result of the earnings season. If you're a trader, then you have to trade into, and then of course you have your classic strategies of uh, using very tight stop losses. You are capturing that immediate momentum that happens or reaction that happens to the announcements. And, or you can use option strategies. So I would bucket um, earnings season into either be a trader and trade into the announcements. And you don't care whether it is beating or not beating. You just want to capture that 4-5% move that's going to happen immediately after the announcement. Mm. Versus a medium-term, long-term investor mm. who looks at the revisions, sees what the analysts are uh, you know, kind of uh, conveying with their revisions on their earnings forecast and then use it to rebalance your portfolio, keeping in mind, of course, the remaining macroeconomic framework. It's a great framework to thinking through and how to make sense of earnings season. Swapnil, how can we tell if a stock price movement is over is an overreaction? Uh, actually, that's uh, one reason you can think it's an overreaction. We can take Apple as an example or even Meta. They both, you know, they, they beat forecasts. Uh, the overreaction is the pessimism for the outlook, which means at this point of time, if the correction is extending, even though uh, there is, they have beat the forecast and they have done really well in the last quarter, and they are just highlighting in the management comments, they are highlighting some concerns for the next quarter. Mm -hmm. It is an overreaction 
if these, you know, the market is almost pricing it as the event has happened. So uncertainty for the next quarter is not a guaranteed outcome that the next quarter is going to be bad. It is just flagging off an element of uncertainty. And if that is extended, if that is in, in a way extended, then it becomes a buying opportunity. So there is too much pessimism in the market uh, concerning the next quarter, even though last quarter was really good. I would say then that becomes a uh, so if it, if it's if it's overdone then it is uh, an opportunity. Otherwise, it is just a reaction to uh, uncertainty, and uncertainty means risk, and risk means people want to get a higher reward or they are not comfortable holding, so they cut in their positions, which is what we saw in case of stocks like Apple, which has been you know kind of it's down maybe around 10% since June earnings. Right, so every quarter there is a concern on their next quarter. And the stock is slowly, you know, coming uh, lower with each earnings announcement. I really love your nuanced take on that question, Swapnil. I'm going to call you Dr. Stocks from now on. That is your new on-air moniker. PhD or not. <laughs> Swapnil Mishra is my guest this morning. He's founder of Wealth Zen, adjunct mentor of Singapore Management University. And he's got a great book out there. You have to get it. I'm on the cover. <laughs> that should be reason enough. Okay, it's it's a fantastic book on how to get started investing. Swapnil, the, let's talk about the holiday quarter. Stock market always changing, always unpredictable, doesn't stop when the markets are closed and investors stay home for the holidays. How do stock markets typically f- perform during uh, off days, holidays? So one of the things that immediately drops in the holidays is the volume because a lot of the large players are staying away people are busy closing their books and if businesses have done well then they are just happy to close their books while they are uh, you know ahead and there is motivation is very low so i think the holiday season but we are a little we are still some weeks away from that holiday season mm. actually what we will be watching out for in the next 6 uh, weeks will be leading up to the holiday season with things like travel retail you know e-commerce Are people spending? Uh, are we seeing Black Friday sale? What kind of performance we see over there? So those are the spaces to watch. I would say in the run-up to the holiday, uh, you know, uh, break that we will see, where of course everything will drop, volume uh, becomes significantly lower in that period. Is there? A, a, can you share with us your outlook in terms of markets for the rest of this year? I think interest rate outlook is going to influence. uh the stock the equity market more than anything else the earnings season uncertainty has ended we saw a strong earnings season and uh, that has helped support but more of support came because fed is in- indicating that okay it looks like this is enough so the real uh, real uh, data point that will affect sentiment and confidence is going to be interest rate outlook if it continues to remain benign then there is going to be confidence both in Uh, in terms of the markets that next year interest rates will be lower mm. and in terms of spending expectations because the general ex- expectation is that if interest rates remain low then uh, we will not see a sudden drop in uh, spending that's one big concern for the next for this current quarter that uh, we see a drop so and if you add the stimulus in china which is again a positive and which is positive for consumption then uh, we can say that the uh, this outlook will be stable uh, on the back of um, uh, calming guideline from fed along the interest rate that it is not going to again go and test the 5% and then you see any strategy uh, breaking that 4 to 5 band if that happens then we will uh, see uh, again correction in the equity market but otherwise i think 
stable is the outlook that I would uh, say on the basis of a strong earnings season. And what can we read anything into the rise in treasury yields in terms of what investors are considering in terms of interest rate outlook? So I would say the bias here, in fact, last night I was, last evening I was at SMU in a class and students were asking, we were discussing biases. Hmm. And I think with interest rate, uh, the number, I think one of the bias that we have to handle is anchoring bias. I feel in the last 10 years, we have all been anchored to low um, interest rate. And so when we saw high interest rate coming in in the last year and this year, there is somehow this, and I see that for myself in my own decision making around, let's say, home loan. There is this thing that, oh, it's actually just broken the barrier and it will come back down. It will come back down. So we are anchored to the low interest rate. Mm. And I think that's the danger here. Because if interest rates stay in this, you know, high end of the band for a longer period of time, then everyone has to change their strategy around what they are, you know, where they are investing, what they are doing with their money, how they have organized their balance sheet in terms of loans. Corporates will have to rethink their liabilities because the cost of liabilities is going to increase. So everyone will have to realign with the new world. And today we are not doing that because I think we are still anchored to the low interest rate. That, that's what yeah. we have to watch out for. It's really interesting. <laughs> are we entering a new era of higher interest rates and how yeah. do we calibrate for that? And how will the bond market calibrate for that as well? What are we seeing? Fascinating. We can build a whole show on that. Swapnil, thank you so much for joining us. We've done the gamut from AI to biases in the stock market. Love it. Thank and you so much. And we can listen to Fly Me to the Moon by Sinatra because that is, I think, also one of Elon Musk's favorite songs. Ah, you got Is that our soundtrack for today? Fly Me to the Moon. That's one of his favorite, really? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's always Again, aiming for the moon. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Swapnil. Always a joy speaking with you. Swapnil Mishra there, adjunct mentor, SMU, founder of Wilson, and he's got a new book on how to invest if you're clueless and reckless and what else? Totally <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.